Hello and welcome to the Holistic Healing Project with me, Dr. Lauren MacDonald. Each week I will be sitting down with a range of experts, thought leaders and other inspiring humans to explore how we can all bring more healing into our lives. I believe we all have the capacity to self-heal, to experience more joy, greater meaning and deeper connection. I really hope these conversations inspire and support you on your own journey back to wholeness. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It's lovely to have you here and I really hope that this week's conversation can inspire and uplift you because I know we're living through some challenging times and I think we could all do with an injection of joy and creativity and just love and this week's guest provides exactly that. This week I'm chatting with the wonderful Nick Mulvey, a musician, singer, songwriter and Mercury Music Prize nominee. Nick's music really speaks directly to the times we are in and although we recorded this conversation a month ago, so before coronavirus really took over the world, his music and lyrics explore everything from joy to suffering to human potential to transcendence, so it's really relevant to what's going on in our world today. Music has an incredible way of connecting people and uplifting people, but it also can provide us with an outlet to let go of our emotions and really explore the depths of what we're experiencing. And we've seen that recently in Italy. People have been taking to their balconies to sing and to express the fear and the emotion and just really share with their community how they're feeling. It also has an incredible way of uplifting us and many of us when we go for a run or when we go to the gym will put on our favourite track to keep ourselves motivated and it is also a form of therapy and it can be used for self-inquiry and a more spiritual journey and that's really where Nick and I take the conversation today. So I really hope you enjoy it and as always if you do please take a moment just to rate and review and I will see you very soon. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for joining me on the Holistic Healing Project today. Thanks for having me, Lauren. It's a pleasure. So we first crossed paths about coming up to a decade ago now. I was just getting slightly tense as you were about to say, was it 10 or 15 years ago or is it 10? Okay, yeah. I know. I mean, what's happened in that time? I mean, a lot has happened in that time for both of us. Yeah, and and, and the planet and beyond. Yeah, we, we first met about 10 years ago and it was a really beautiful chance encounter in Brighton I think it was like 2011 2012 so was it in your friend's kitchen or or you were living in it was at my it was at my house and I remember I mean it was it wasn't exactly rock and roll I spent the evening making everyone herbal tea and we just sat around and I'd done a gig in a a small venue in Brighton, right? It was like, was it in uh, the downstairs of that restaurant? Yeah, I think it was actually, we'd been at Jane Bombay's, that tiny cafe. The legend Jane Bombay. Yeah, it was such a beautiful, intimate evening anyway. Mm. And then, I mean, the magic just carried on when the guys managed to get you, kind of entice you back to ours. But yeah, I mean, wow, in that time though, I mean, so much has happened for both of us. I've been on a bit of a bumpy ride for the last decade really or at least six years power to you yeah lots of highs and lots of lows and I mean imagine you although you've had this incredible career take off I'm sure there's a lot that's happened to you in the last 10 years as well so Mm. yeah really I'd just like to start with exploring that I know it's a huge question to start with you know what's happened to you in the last 10 years but Mm. I really want to know more about 
what's led you to where you are now? Because I know your music has really evolved. I mean, you had such a beautiful, distinctive sound at the beginning anyway. But I've, it's been a joy to watch you grow and progress as an artist through the last decade, really. Oh, thanks, Lauren. Yes, I mean, there's lots of different sort of ways to, to look at a period of time like 10 years. I mean, my music and my songs are, they do sit at the heart of my life. Um, a lot of things take shape around them. And part of the recent journey in, in the last 10 years, certainly the second half of the last 10 years, more recently, has been about like forging a balance that isn't about everything revolving around my music. Because, yeah, so, so in 2014, I released my first album as a solo artist. That began a really exciting journey that had me just really swept up in this kind of uh, suddenly very busy and enjoying this kind of really exciting ride with having some success around that album and going on a lot of support tours. That seemed to be some of the early phases was that I was the opening act on lots of really other people's tours, just building up my career. And um, yeah, it was a mixture of unexpected and expected. You know, like there's a part of me that did expect it in some ways. Like I kind of like was living my songs and I've loved my heroes deeply and looked at the mechanics of how their music works and really dwelt in that and lived that. And I've had this sense of like, yeah, what I was putting together was the best I could do, you know? Yeah. And then I realized as you go, like loads of ways I could do it better as well. But had this really exciting journey and but then also like you know there's been internal more difficult parts of it like I had quite a lot of interruptions with my family and friends just being busy and kind of navigating quite a trippy journey around uh, having a, a, a kind of increased public profile and there's lots to say around that and I've really been living a journey with that in more recent times. That's kind of what I was talking about a second ago, saying about seeking a greater health, I think, around my uh, my life, my relationships, my creativity, all the aspects of, of having mm. having a life. Do you know what, before, before we jumped on this call, I had a look how many streams on Spotify you have and it's like close to 2 million a month, which is just incredible. So when you say, I mean... For anyone who maybe is listening who hasn't come across you, I just think you're really downplaying how bright your star is shining right now because that's huge. You know, you're played all around the world. I've just been in Bali running um, a yoga retreat and I actually messaged you to say, you know, I, I heard you in every yoga studio, every cafe, and then I arrive in Byron Bay and I went on a psilocybin retreat to Amsterdam last year and again... Nick Mulvey pops up. Your music is there in Amazing. ceremonies. I mean, it was such cool. a gift to have met you anyway, um, you know, 10 years ago. But then you've really been kind of following me and my journey of, of healing and self-inquiry. And, and yeah, I guess that's, that's what I really wanted to speak to you about. The fact that although you, you're played on Radio 1 and a lot of people really love your music, but then within that there's also communities and I guess it's the more kind of spiritual communities yoga communities that your music seems to really really resonate with and it has such a beautiful heart opening feeling quality to it which I'd just love to explore because was that mm. the intention behind your work have you always intended to really kind of touch people on a on a deeper level I always find kind of intention is is a bit of a dance you know because I don't start with a with an agenda I don't start that way. I'm always like looking for a feeling with the guitar in my hands, 
the best way I can describe that feeling is by picking up the guitar and showing you, you know what I mean? It's like, um, but there are certain kind of ways in which I put chords together and certain ways in which melodies hang over those chords. In It's it's a whole kind of world of sound that's very, very, very natural to me. I noticed it in my dad's brother is an artist, my Uncle Jeremy, big ups, Uncle Jeremy. Uh, he's an artist and a painter and he would play the guitar. Well, we would always play like um, music, my mum's musical, my dad's musical, but Uncle Jeremy would play occasionally when he'd come at Christmas or in the summer. And he, he would move me as a kid in ways that I couldn't describe. I just loved, we just loved it when Uncle Jeremy sang. It made us all feel really good. It made us feel really held. It made us feel really like, all this mix of like, this upward lifting nostalgia, this kind of longing that where there was pain, but there was also joy and this kind of like this space where you feel tender. I, I, I kind of recently sort of realised, actually, yeah, there's a blueprint for that in the way that he sang. So I'm looking for that feeling as I'm playing the guitar. And I, I like to think about, you know, the more I play and I write songs, there, there is a level of agenda and intention. I want to get to that really soon because I'm on a journey of claiming that intention and not just being like, oh, it just happens. And it is an emergent thing and, and it, emerging is really important to me, but I don't want to distance myself from it. So I'm going to get to it very quickly. But just to say that the more I play the guitar, the simpler my observations become. And I noticed a couple of years back that, of course, it is just a resonating box with some strings going across it and those strings you feed information with the right hand you elicit the vibration of the strings and with the left hand you modify how long those strings are so you, this creates information and then the information resounds in the box and that box i place over my chest my feeling center my yeah my heart my feeling center i, I heard someone say oh the guitar is very fourth chakra and I'm not too afraid of that vocabulary and that, that way of talking. And I've had a basic understanding of, of the energy centers as they go up through the body. And that's been a really interesting thing to basically learn about. And so the guitar is a very fourth chakra. It's very hard. So I place this guitar over my heart center and I feed information directly from this box, from my hands into my heart center. And what's interesting about that is it's a directly non-conceptual process. Thinking is like, not really involved here. I'm feeling all the way. And I'm, and I'm just playing. I'll be sitting at home and I'll be pretty absent-minded, just doodling, noodling away. And then I'll hit upon something, a certain position and a certain movement that does something. Really, the more I play, the more I kind of settle on saying it opens up my heart. Obviously, this is a sort of poetic vocabulary, but like... When you're playing, I'm guessing this isn't always the case, but... Are you kind of channeling something else beyond yourself? So it's coming from you, but, but it's coming through you. Definitely. And I have a really down-to-earth kind of acceptance of that. I think, you know, when I was younger, I would have thought I'd have been a bit shy of saying channeling or something because I thought it was really special. And, like, and then the more I realised, every time you have a good idea, anyone in any field, it's because you opened and allowed that good idea to arise and that you're not really the the author of your good ideas now i work really hard to make what i make so i don't want to detach myself but you know i say I'm, I'm the waiter and not the chef and i work really hard as the waiter i bring the music from the kitchen to the table for people to have nourishment but 
if you get really honest about what happens in the creative process, which you have to do when you rely on it to become your vocation and you need this creative process to pay the rent to feed my kids, you have to be like, okay, where and how does it come from? How can I support that continually? And, and I know you said that the intention is somewhat there, but is it the intention to kind of elicit an emotion in the listener? Are you, are you going out with, you know, you say that it's coming through you, um, mm. but is that coming from, I don't know, your your story and your heart about something going on in your life or do you sometimes I guess it's very dependent on what you're trying to create but I'm guessing sometimes you actually just by the power of music that you can you can create something that can change someone's emotion on such a deep level well I think you know our nervous systems are all very similar more similar than different probably I mean you know I'm not a neurologist or you know, have I got that right even? <laughs> you know, I'm not a nervous system person, but like the person from Aboriginal Australia or the person from England or the person, you know, we're all much more similar than different. Um, uh, this is complicated waters because there are lots of layers and, and we can all be very different as well. But basically, on this question of intention, it is a dance. There are moments when I do want, I, I make a choice with a lyric or a choice with a word because I, I think it will impact the listener. But mostly it's the other way around. I'm looking to move myself with this guitar playing process I'm talking about. And then also in the layers on top of that, as I start to then allow the melodies and allow the melodies to form into word shapes. And allow, and then when we start getting into word shapes and phrases and I start getting words, then I start to think with the, then the mind can kind of kick in a bit and I start thinking, Oh, what is this about? And then I do turn up with intention, you know. Mostly, again, it is to move myself. And I know that if I move myself, I'm very likely to move other people because of that fundamental similarities in physiology. But also, I start to then come in with more layers of intention. And my intentions are to inspire people, to be really authentic. My intentions are, I mean, I want to tell new stories of a more kinder, and juicier world you know I don't see kinder as being like weaker or softer I mean like properly empowered and, and inspired stories um, yes so there are those layers of intention but when I think about like what am I trying to do for another person it's mostly not that way it is mostly I'm trying mm. to do for myself and move myself yeah, okay then that makes total sense I guess because as the listener you feel so deeply and you can be so moved. And it's a credit to you and other musicians that you almost feel like it's being created for you to kind of crack you open or to make you really feel. I mean, music really affects you on that kind of physical, emotional and then spiritual level as well. Um, and I can really feel and I, I'm kind of been watching you move more into the kind of spiritual realms with your work. So I'd love to just explore that with you a little bit more. Have, have you always been spiritual or is that something that's just... You, as you're kind of growing up and evolving as a person, is that kind of coming out in your music? No, I've always been that way, um, or at least since my teens, I'd say. Yeah, in my teenage years, I just sort of remember realising that all the artists I loved had a kind of reverence or veneration, whatever it was, you know, Bob Marley or Stevie Wonder. It was this sort of that reverence in their music for life and for mystery and yeah so I, I think I've always been that way I definitely can say that when I first came to releasing my own music with my own lyrics in and stuff I actively chose to veil that 
quite a lot. So I was always that way inclined. But I, I chose two things. I chose to just write about my own personal experience because no one can say that that's right or wrong. I believed in that and I also that was an act of keeping it safe a little bit. It was like, if I just talk about what's happening in my own head, in my own heart, then that. Um, and then, then, then I also veiled it a lot. I would use quite obscure imagery or, yeah, I was looking for room and space. To, to, I was looking for, um, for Im, to be impressionistic. Kind of safe vulnerability, but like a, a safety blanket covering it in a way. Because your music's always felt mm. quite vulnerable and open, but it sounds like maybe at the beginning you weren't giving your true, your full self. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I was kind of trying to protect or sort of shield myself or something, you know. But then I was still up there singing Yearning to Belong. That's a chorus from a song of mine called Kukuruku. And I just sort of did the maths on it. I was like, Yearning to Belong is, is, a, is a kind of fundamental expression of the the human condition kind of thing of the you know the ego is always seeking its dissolution in the whole we as individuals are seeking our connection into the whole uh, obviously the irony is that we've never lost that and we never can lose that but we live as if we do and so we're kind of going through this journey of seeking to be whole so i just knew that's true for basically everybody so if i sing yearning to belong as it wrote itself and i was like oh really is that what do you am i gonna sing that on stage i felt this kind of i was living in east london at the time i was in my mid-20s i i just thought oh i'm gonna get on stage and i'm gonna be such a loser i'm the yearning to belong so i had that very human level of resistance and then at the same time i also just knew this is gonna work do you know what? And it was that song that you played for us that night in oh, my nice. house in Brighton. And as soon as you sang it, all of us were just looking at each other like, what this is. And it just touched us. And like you said, when you sing that lyric, you can feel yourself in it. You're just exploring the kind of complexities of the human experience as well, which is is really powerful. Did you feel that the more, um, the kind of, the more well-known you got and the bigger audience you started attracting, did, did, was there a sense of responsibility to start using your voice to speak about bigger kind of global issues as well? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, I'm happy I've done that, but I can just see these multi-layers at the same time. It's like, on one level, that was very straightforward and I'm really happy I did that. On another level, I see that my greatest serving of that responsibility, my greatest honouring that responsibility is not to be obligated to kind of talk about the important issues, quote, unquote, but it's to get, it's to be free, it's to get my kicks, it's to like do what makes me feel good. So that's a higher logic, that's a higher motivation than like having to talk about worthy causes and issues. I trust that like that's what I, I had to do at that time and I'm really glad I have and I'm very proud of those songs. I love singing them still, but, you know, there can be obviously an overinflated sense of the self in the middle, you know, when you want to talk about these issues. I had to examine, like, what impact I thought I was having, I suppose, or, like, there's, like, a song called Maella where I talk about the refugee crisis. And I was very deeply kind of um, distressed by the lack of compassion and the, the lack of caring, and, and, and it's still the case, but it was very much, like, more in the headlines then, but... I love what you said, though, that the idea that now you you don't need to necessarily be so explicit in your music, like you don't need to say it, it's just embodied within it, whether you're saying it or not, your your music just carries that kind of depth and that, yeah. you know, most of your 
most of your tracks are really infused with love and joy and they lift the human spirit in that way. Kind of circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning about this kind of feeling piece and this heart opening. There's a really lovely quote actually that I wanted to read to you and it goes, in such ugly times the real protest is joy. And I can't remember who said it but I just thought it suits obviously the chaos that we're living in with the world at the moment but actually that idea that real protest is joy and to be able to create music that brings you so much joy but also the listener so much joy is pretty radical really at the moment so good i love that quote yeah it's good yeah. Isn't it? i need to find out who said it but i was like yeah that's it like that just really that's speaks to times the real protest is joy yeah i think so i think like um these times require our empowered juiciness you know what I mean? Like our joy, yeah, I love our, that. our like, I've really been feeling that this year, you know, I'm, I'm in a happy place in my life. I'm feeling good. And you can have kind of moments or perhaps some conversations with people who are perhaps a bit more burdened and you feel like your joy. I checked my joy. I was like, is this out of place? Am I like, is Am this I okay? <laughs> feel this good? Like, I'm not even just feel this good. I'm feeling better and better all the time. Am I like checking out? Am I closing my heart to all the suffering? Because if I was engaged with the suffering, would I feel this good? And I think I really came to this place of like, no, I am here. Um, I am exploring and how to have an open heart in hell, as, as Ram Das puts it. Mm. Well, but, I'd love to move on if, if you're yeah. happy. I'd love to talk about the Ram Das track because mm. um, I, I heard you on the East Forest podcast recently, which was mm-hmm. great. And then I actually went to East Forest, was in Australia recently, and I went along to one of his, he does oh, this amazing. new ceremony, this ritual ceremony, which was really cool. And the track that you created with him, it was a rework of the Ram Das and East Forest, um, Please Pass the Bliss. And it's just, yeah, it's so beautiful. You've just done it so well. And you've got your kind of vocal. And Thank then you. Ram Das is just, his voice is just incredible, isn't it? How did that come about? How did you end up doing that rework it was just a nice unfolding of things like i uh i've loved ram das and he's been one of my main sort of spiritual teachers and his yeah his life has been this shining example and i think they say twenty thousand hours of his talks as recorded since the late 60s up on youtube i just marvel at how much i feel he's his words have clarified things for me I come back again and again. I'm like, yeah, I feel like he, he, he's a big teacher for me. And so I was aware of this producer. I didn't know much about him, but called East Forest from America who had gone to Ram Dass, who, who at this point was a very elderly man in, in Maui, Hawaii. He had a couple of strokes and East Forest had sat with him. I believe East Forest approached him and said, yes, there's this much body of work on YouTube, but would you care to speak some specific words about this present moment of opportunity and crisis on the earth right now and I think that was a really beautiful question and Ram Dass wasn't giving many interviews and, and I, these interviews were more or less the last ones I think and then as was this producer East Forest's intention he took these recordings and he made an ambient album just called Ram Dass, which is out on YouTube and he was on the Aubrey Marcus podcast talking about this process and it's a great podcast and I just uh I posted about it posted about it on Instagram and tagged them in it and I got this message from East Forest saying hey 
and that I was on his short list of people to get in touch with because he already liked my work and he knew that I was inspired by Ram Dass and would I like to do a remix? So that was an easy yes from me and I was really excited to be in some capacity, a little bit indirect, kind of collaborating with my hero Ram Dass and, you know, in a sense, at least I knew that. I don't know if the big man himself knew that, but I was happy about that. And, uh, and then that actually became a nice collaboration over distance between me and East Forest. I, I recorded some stuff and he worked on it and then sent it back and we just put this thing together uh, which uses the, the samples of the very elderly Ram Dass. And then we released it on the 21st of December on the winter solstice and I posted and spoke about it you know and to my followers just talked about Ram Dass and what he's meant to me and what, what he is and what he's about with some images and then 24 hours later Ram Dass died. I know what well, I mean how was that for you how was that whole experience kind of what it was that electrifying. Mean to you? I mean personally to me I've never known Ram Dass on a personal intimate level it feels funny saying that because I, that I have very deeply known him on both those words personal and intimate but literally you know knowing him as a person I have only ever known him through his recordings so his passing his dying doesn't change a huge amount for me so I think it's quite easy for me to kind of move into that acceptance of he's here he's still here just as he always is always was so there wasn't such a grief there's grief when I re- when I feel it through other people's grief who did know him more but I was more just like electrified um you know it's a secondary thing but I was talking with a friend about how in this social media age we're all experiencing public deaths quite differently from the past I mean we'd have obituaries and you'd have word of mouth and touch this kind of uh someone would die in the public sphere and you'd all feel it now it's just it's just amplified even more through social media we it travels much quicker it's, and then and images and quotes and reflections about the individual who dies be it kobe bryant or be it whoever we all go through this that flash of you know prince or david bowie we go through this kind of like it's very astral we're all connected in this feeling in this moment of sharing and we honor this individual passing and Okay, I say we like it's the big we when we can be a bit siloed in our in our networks and our kind of echo chambers, perhaps. Um, so I don't know if the whole world knew about Ram Dass's passing, but certainly in my extended networks, he was everywhere, and he was really it was suddenly everywhere. And and I just released this piece of music. I saw it. I saw a kind of cheeky wink from his guru Maharaji, who is you know it's a long story to to explain to the. To those who don't know, like the role of of, of Ramdas's Guru Maharaji, but there was some construct here, at least personally to me, in my interpretation of it, there was some construct here that felt very confirming of something to me. It was like I felt very intimate, very touched by my intimacy with Ramdas's moment of passing, and some of mm. that seemed to be this kind of like this big yes. It was just like yes, you are a part of this story. Yes, it is this magical. It was just a beautiful thing. I, and it was very kind of yeah. like, so don't fret. No need to kind of overly, nothing to convince anyone, nothing to prove or just like chill. It's, it's yes, I don't know. Amazing. For anyone who hasn't listened to it, yeah, please pass the bliss. It's just, yeah, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful track. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk about your creative process you mentioned that the music kind of comes through you and comes from your heart but is any you know for example if you're 
I guess you give yourself blocks of time, maybe after tour or after releasing an album, to then get back into the creative process. So how does that come about? And is there anything that you can do to help yourself get into really a flow state or a creative state? Yeah, it definitely takes hard graft. As much as we talk about the more glamorous kind of like flow states, um, it, it, to get there, it takes, it takes diligence and hard graft. I've just written my, my new album and I'm alive with it. I'm really like very fresh in the creative process. I mean, I'm, I'm writing it. I'm, I'm about to record it. I've started doing some recordings. And so, yeah, all of that writing and recording process is very merged. But I've recently just done a three-week intensive trip around the UK. I live in Ibiza now, but I, I really felt this calling to go back to the UK. There was something about the land there, the rivers, the streams, the animals, and also this moment of political separation and just the intensity of the whole moment there. I really felt cool to go there so I kind of dreamt up this pilgrimage and it came from a moment with my sister she was just chatting about when she was in a rural place in a foreign country she got on the wrong bus and she started going in the wrong direction and she knew that this it was going to be hours before she could get off this bus and so initially she was going in the wrong she realized she's got on the wrong bus she's going in the wrong direction and she was really annoyed and it was like oh I had to work it out and then once she accepted the annoyance this very, she said, this surprisingly creative space opened up because she didn't really know where she was going. And she looked out the window and suddenly everything was intensely beautiful and more kind of alive. And she just felt this creative juiciness happen and she got out a pen and paper and she, all this emotional stuff came out about, about our mum and our grandma and being a woman and, and all this sort of stuff was unlocked initially by going in accidentally in this case going into the unknown going out of the ordinary into this kind of space and and then things get intensified and she just like I was ready for that little anecdote and I was just like yes that's it and I've got two young kids my writing room with my instruments is literally on the side of the kitchen and so I'm sort of both literally and figuratively sort of had been at the end of last year trying to write this record like on the side of the family life and it just wasn't working and the rhythms of the family and the kids are are such you know that that they're kind of quite measured or quite kind of consistent and bedtime bath time you know and the the little slots of time you have to make music or to get creative it just wasn't enough like I, I realized I need to be immersed deeply immersed and totally given to this so with the family's consent, I just went on a journey and I knew it was going to be to the southwest. And I had some friends there who invited me and I went to a retreat centre called Embercoon there where it's off season in the winter. They're, they're very dormant. And uh, there's an elder there called Matt McCartney. Mac is he's like hanging out with a mountain. He's awesome. And he was mentored in the 80s and 90s by, I'm going to say the Lakota people from North America, but I think he had a mix of different indigenous North American mentors in the 80s and 90s. He's a real kind of powerful speaker in this moment, in this age, about the need for our sacred relationship with the earth. You know, I, I see that we're in this time of, of, of great transition into a more embodied, earthbound understanding. You know, it's, it's only through, through, inshallah, touch wood, nearly losing our home and ourselves and and none of us know if we're going to be that lucky but either way lucky or or not it's through this crisis that we are the opportunity is to really really deeply reassess ourselves and understand ourselves as no longer separate from from the whole 
yeah. Anyway, Matt McCartney's got loads of powerful things to say, and I knew I needed to go there, and, and I've been writing these songs and, and then just spending some days with him, just kind of sharing them with him. And all this stuff about my maternal grandmother came through. Not even all this stuff, deep reconnection with her. Like She died 15 years before I was born, but I just became really interested in, understand, in, in getting to know her. My mum wrote me this piece, this biographical piece about her, and um, these songs all came through about sort of, so from her connected to her lamenting the landscape and the loss of biodiversity and i mean the whole thing i can't necessarily mm. summarize it other than just to dive in and share some of the yeah, threads yeah, with you but, but i guess it's that going somewhere new and just giving yourself that space and time to really explore where you're going where you're where you're taking your sound and your music and i guess your message yeah i mean yeah on the message side what did what did picasso say he said this amazing quote it's so good he said think of me as more like a courier pigeon i'm following my sense of direction home and if someone if there is a message in my talons i didn't put it there which is just gorgeous so i'm following my sense of direction home you know and i and i find these messages as they come and and really like yeah having been on that journey through wake up now of talking more explicitly about things uh there is some explicit stuff in this new album but it's more i'm really oriented towards my, my highest service to anyone listening to this music is for me to get my kicks and just to be juicy and happy and follow my feelings in this music. And there's not so much agenda. I've been on a real pilgrimage and it's really yielded this whole album. It's all come. Is there anything that you do to really look after yourself? Obviously, I appreciate you're busy, you're a family man, you know, you're a dad, you're a husband. Are there any kind of practices or places you go to, I guess, like fill your cup up so that you can then be of service? I think like a lot of us, um, I used to judge my kind of disorderly practice or kind of piecemeal. Uh, my practice would be a bit all over the place and I, and I would judge it by some kind of perfectionist standard. And I always thought I could be doing more and it's probably and it's true. But these days, having kids and stuff, I just kind of accept that like I just turn up across a, a variety of practices some of them I, I take to, to depth. I think it's important to learn depth. Are you talking about like meditation and things like that when you say practices? So yeah, I mean, uh, sitting still with a candle for half an hour a day has been a major practice for me. And as simple as that, it was told to me by an elder in a ceremony, in a period ceremony. He, he seemed to know just what he was talking about. And he looked at me and like a doctor, he prescribed me, you just need to sit still for half an hour every day. And I, at that point, was kind of, if I fall into the world, I get torn to bits. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, this part of my life is my Our lives are so full and we have to be so many people and so many parts of how, you know, I, I, I despair sometimes. How can we do all this? And, and it's true. I alone can't do this. I will be pulled apart in the vortex. But me plus the stillness and just a little bit of it every day, it's doable. I can do it. And I guess in that space, you find that gives you that creativity to then keep creating and yeah in that space then everything you know lots of stuff happens first of all eventually you know if i give myself half an hour 15 20 minutes i'm still churning the all the storylines and the stuff and i'm fidgeting and then i get 10 minutes of just like being so that's a part of it and i often blend that with uh some mantra practice i just do a round of i might start that half an hour with a round of of the beads just that you know the, the the more i leave alone the high level esoteric layers to these things and i just come back to the really simple 
physical aspects of it the sort of the better it all becomes like yes there are deep levels to chanting these ancient words but also it's just like gym for the brain do you find your was it has it been an easy journey to find your voice and and I guess I'm talking about confidence really and speaking up um is it something that comes easy to you or do you have to work at it work at it definitely it's much easier for all of us to to not um and I've definitely yeah been through a big journey of that to and I have to do it before each tour you know before each gig just really just do a variety of processes as I prepare for each gig you know I I just imagine that this is a room full of 3,000 friends and I think about all their journey the front row the guys in the middle the one who looks just really intimidating and like they're not enjoying it that person too is my friend I think all of these people are my friends and I can then walk out on stage and, and really like be relaxed and let my voice open and as well as then you know that, that's a layer of psychology to allow my voice to open there's and my and my confidence to kind of relax what a lovely way to I, I love that I, I mean we all need to kind of wake up in the morning and have that thought process like before we walk out onto the street like these are all my friends They're all my friends um, like that guy in the car even the one who really doesn't look like my friend um yeah they, they're, the, they're the ones that often need the love the most though aren't they so it's kind of yeah changing that it's a bit of a reframe i'm sure the world would be such a nicer place if we all kind of yeah just thought of everyone as our friend yeah i try you know fail all the time and mm. try again but yeah i find the stage and the gigs are this very blessed intensification of life for me it's full of all the same stuff as life about you know, relaxing, being myself, listening, uh, being embodied, being surrendered, being engaged. You know, all these different components that we can apply across life, but it's this real intensification of it. And in the last couple of years particularly, I've been just happier and happier and happier and freer and freer and freer. And I just, I'm having such a good time on the stage. And Mm. I'm really grateful for it as an intensified place. Yeah. yeah wow I mean I, yeah it's just you're just amazing I just think your music's so no. beautiful and <laughs> yeah I need to come and see you again sometime for sure but what's that so what's next for you you said you're working you're current, currently writing and working on your next album when when can we expect something from you um I think second half of this year I've never really told the stories around my music properly I've never, you know, the more I do this game, the more respect I have for the masters of this game, you know. Let's say a Nick Cave right now, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Like, just what it takes to command your kind of creativity, let it, let it reach through all the music. Yes, I've always accepted that, but also photography and artworks and, 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 and the language with which you talk about it. And, you know, I've, I've never really mastered that. And um, that, that's a key part for me going forward. So as I've been writing these songs and starting the recordings, I'm also thinking very much about how to really tell the stories to a whole nother level and really communicate this context of what this music's apart. I think we live in, in a time now where we've rapidly become more and more, it's more acceptable to talk about these things I'm singing about. And at the same time, internally, I'm more like grounded. They don't have to be fantastical songs or fantastical stories or I'm just... The, the stories I want to tell around this music are going to be real ones, relatable to anyone, not for only those who are on the top of the mountain, you know, having profound 
experiences. Mm. It's like there's something as well about you can be healed by the melody of the music, or maybe the what you hear in the music. But then there's something so healing and kind of I guess that un, like unifying about hearing a, a story through music as well. Like storytelling is just impacts us so deeply, doesn't it? I just love a really if you can place a story within a song it's just beautiful yeah and I found on stage uh I just started to really open up and share between the songs like the some of the stories that 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 are alive within this music that I've lived to get the songs and they're often like uh they really connect they really help me connect they really help me like um it's like the, the more I turn up as as little old me just me and the more the more I can connect and we meet as equals and then conversely as that happens it allows the more of when I am actually in the song I can let this full power thing happen and really happen and the two are a lovely balance like you know in the past the the inverse was probably true you know I was shy to actually really turn up and be myself it's just such a vulnerable position up on stage and I was so like basically terrified. So I would do some sort of like, I would, I would project a, a kind of more confident image or something. I mean, and we're the, all wearing masks, aren't yeah. we, to a certain degree, so many of us. And it's, I mean, the first thing is actually becoming self-aware and realising you're wearing one. I mean, that's the first step. And then, yeah, actually taking it off is pretty scary. Even like starting a podcast, I had so much resistance to... I guess, sharing myself and I'm sure to a degree I'm still putting on a bit of a persona and hopefully that will kind of fade away as time goes on. But it's interesting, isn't it, when you start thinking like, am I actually, am I really being me? Am I being my fuller self right now? Mm. Yeah, and going out and making something is a really good test of actually where you're at. And um, yeah, I can imagine the ego knows that like, it can't perform and control and kind of manipulate the entire way through a one hour podcast. Like you're going to, you're going to be revealed at some point, you know, so the ego mm. kind of knows this and then <laughs> certainly like on stage and at gigs, but the, the laughable thing is like, everybody knows that already. Everybody can see how you really are anyway. Like you, what you find is actually people love the real you way more right. than the kind of you that you're, you know, this persona you're putting on and, and we all love, we actually love people's flaws to a degree, you know, like no one wants a perfect person. We all exactly. have imperfections. So, yeah, I just, I mean, we all know it on an intellectual level, but it's sometimes hard, isn't it, to kind of embody that and just be like, yeah, this is me, kind of warts and all, take it. You have to exercise it, yeah. You yeah, have to. Yeah, definitely. Nick, it's just been so great to catch up with you and I really feel that you are the ingredient that makes your music so healing and transformational for so many people. Um, it's your essence, it's your being, it's the energy that you put into it. I cannot wait to hear your next album. And yeah, I will definitely be coming to one of your gigs very soon as well. Oh, thank you. Was Nora, there anything else you wanted to share, Nick, with anyone? Yeah, I just yeah. want to say I really respect and, and recognise your journey that you're on and uh, I think it's amazing and I think you're offering a really meaningful gift with this podcast thanks Nick well I hope I hope that you'll be creating your own very soon we had I mean before we I press record you mentioned that might be on the horizon so 
Yeah, I'll have to glean some tips from you. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. It's been, yeah, it's just so lovely to reconnect with you. And yeah, I just want to say the biggest thank you for creating the magic that you create. And yeah, you're just, you're just amazing. So thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Lovely to chat. Please remember that whilst I am a qualified medical doctor, I am not your medical doctor. So whilst we often talk about health and well-being and we give out tools and tips and sometimes discuss topics that are a little bit fringe or alternative, this is very much for information only. It is not individual medical advice. So please, if you have any health concerns, make sure you go and see your own practitioner.